Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Not only did I receive so many uh, emails and text messages, but even conversations after service, many of you said, can you please continue expounding on biblical identity? How many want to know a little more about identity? Amen. I remember uh, before we start, about in 2017, uh, I did a survey at RCC, and I gave them free reign to talk to ask any uh, thing that they wanted to hear. So we had a little survey, and we didn't have categories. We said, "What would you like to hear more of?" So we gathered all those things, and I remember back in 2017, 2018, by far. The majority of requests was, I want to know more on my biblical identity and who God says I am. Because it's freeing when you do. Can I hear an amen? So with that said, uh, part three of the Jabez principle is going to continue on the principle of part two on identity. I'm just going to expound it. So buckle your seatbelts and get ready. Let's turn again for those who are visiting to First Chronicles chapter 4, and we will see it there. You know what? You could smile at me, guys. You could, you could say, come on, Pastor George. You could lean forward and get excited. You could get your Bible and get ready. Come on, don't look at me like I got a pickle on my head. I changed it up, you know, throughout the years. <laughs> I don't know. First Chronicles chapter 4. All right, those of you who have not been here, who have not been here for this series? Raise your hands. Who, who have not? Okay, I'm going to give you a quick review because I know there's many that are not, but the review is so important. Everybody say important. Come on, you can shout at me this morning. Just don't throw anything at me, okay? Listen. First Chronicles chapter 4 and 9 through 10 breaks in in the middle of a very monotonous storytelling, just for a review, of, of family names. And this was the name of this, and this was the name of that, and this was the name of Sanchez, and Soto Longo, and Perez. Not really, but I'm just giving you an example. And, and all of a sudden, in someone's like, Soto Longo's in the Bible? What? And right in the middle of the story, right in the middle of the story, the writer says, I'm going to break form, and you got to hear about this guy right here. And then I'm going to go back into this boring chronicles, all these names. Read it. First Chronicles chapter 1 through 9, if you read it, make sure you have like two cups of coffee, coffee next to you. Because you're like, and then, and then. All of a sudden, tucked in, just for the for review, this is what it says. I'm going to read it every, every week, and I'm going to expound a different principle on it. Now, Jabez, verse 9, was more honorable than all his brothers. And if you remember, the first part, come on, review, of part one of this principle was we needed to know why Jabez was answered his prayer so radically, and his life turned out so radical in these two verses because he was more honorable. Everybody say honorable. Than all his brothers. And so part one, I talked about something that's very rarely talked about in sermons now is having and developing a spirit of honor towards God, listen, and towards people. Yes, I said towards people. God made it that way. So don't look at me funny. God created the word, word of God. And one of the things we learned about honor was this. What we honor in our life, we will attract. And what we dishonor in our life, we will repel. That's good. Say that with me. Say what I honor in my life, I will attract. What I dishonor in my life, I will repel. Think about that in the area of money, in the area of holiness. If you honor holiness, you will bring 
people and situations of holiness to you. If you repel it, you're gonna, if you dishonor it, you're going to repel the presence of God in your life. And one of the things we talked about, honor, and we're going to keep that scripture up there. The other thing we talked about honor in, in, in uh, part one was dishonor, listen to me, shuts down. Everybody say shuts down. What God has put in other people's life for you. No, 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 you didn't. That, that was a good place to say amen. Dishonoring someone or, or some, someone in your sphere of influence, that means God has placed them there in some, for some reason in your life. You may not like them, but when you dishonor someone, you disrespect them in a, in a sense that, oh, I don't like them, and they're, they're just not good. They're not from God. You actually shut down the gift of God that was meant partially for you to partake of. You can never receive from someone that you don't honor. If you don't honor your mother and father, you will never receive correction from them. That's good. That's good. If you don't honor your pastor, you'll never receive from them. I could be throwing filet mignon bombs. And people be like, oh, that's good. And the person next to them going, he's just prideful. You're never going to receive something fully from someone that you already are critical against. If, you have two, if I have two strikes against me ever, in your mind before I ever preach, you will never fully receive from me or your pastor or your leader or your boss. Come on, somebody. That was honor. But the Bible says he honored God. So how are we honoring people? How are we discount? And, 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 and we proved in part one, this is our review, that it was biblical because Jesus, full of power, full of glory, went into Jerusalem and they didn't treat him as God. They said, we know who this guy is. Can I do it 2022 version? He grew up with us playing basketball. Come on. Or cricket or whatever the sport is back then. Right? We, 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 we understood him. And he called him God now. The Bible says he could not do any miracles because of the lack of honor. Can I hear an amen? The part two, which was last week, which people really got free, is that we talked about the name Jabez means, come on pain or sorrowful and we realize that we become self-fulfilling prophecies of the words that people spoke over our life if we don't get healed and we gave examples of labels that were named at birth like Jacob if you remember we talked about Jacob means deceiver and he grew up to be a deceiver all his life until God encountered him in the wrestling match but it was all because Someone named or labeled Jacob a deceiver. Jacob means deceiver. Imagine calling your son deceiver or daughter deceiver. Hey, deceiver, come over here and play with me for a second. And then we talked about this man named Nabal. Remember that? Nabal means, oh, I like how you said it, fool. You just left the L out. You said fool. Nabal was named fool. The actual meaning of Nabal means fool. And if you remember, Nabal, Nabal acted foolishly all his life. He almost got killed. His foolishness almost got killed if it wasn't for his wife, Abigail. And his wife, Abigail, said, please have mercy on Nabal. He's a fool. His name says he's a fool, and he's acting like a fool. And David was about to kill him. And Jabez means pain. And so we, we talked about last week how uh, the, the identity 101 is, here's this, zoom in. Before I start this third series, which, which is really more on identity, but it's going to change your life. Turn to someone who says, it's going to change your life. Identity 101 is this. Here it is. Here it is. Identity 101. 
Like if you were to say, PG, what is the, what is the like identity 101? Identifying the lies that you keep on believing about yourself and God in your head and replacing them with truth. It, ha- it has nothing to do with supernatural encounters or, oh, my God, you know, the, the power of God came. It has to do with identifying the lies that you've been believing about yourself and about God, about his nature, about how he feels for you. Listen, and replacing them with the truth of God's word because you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and you will be free indeed. Come on, say indeed. All right. And then, of course, last, the last uh, thing that we learned last week was one of the highest forms of identity is the spirit of adoption. We talked about adoption last week, how, and we ended it with the Lion King movie, how the adopted son and daughter has all the rights and privileges of the, uh, of the family, just like the biological son and like, just like the biological daughter. That is who you are. Now, are you ready? Now, I want to continue with this, and I'm going to expand a little bit more on identity. So I want you to take notes. There's going to be some on your screen. The first point is this. The Jabez principle highlights the important need to continue. Everybody say continue. To discover our biblical identity in who we are. All right? So the topic of identity has been one of the top topics of our day. So today, I'm going to explore another aspect of identity. I'm not going to reveal it yet, but because I want to lay, lay a foundation. Because many people, what they're defining, hear me now, as a problem in their life are actually symptoms of the real problem. And the real problem is that they don't know who they are. I'm going to say that again. Many people, what you are defining as a problem is actually not a problem at all. It's a symptom. Symptom of the real problem. But most Christians try to heal the symptom instead of the root of the problem. It's like, you know, us Spanish kids, when we grew up, I'm sure that some of you guys did it. But when we had a fever, our grandma or our moms, they put us in the tub and they threw a whole bunch of ice on us. And you know what that would do? It would temporarily take the temperature down. It would actually successfully take the temperature down from a fever to a a non-fever level. But it would not heal the fever because it was only the, the, the heating up was a symptom of an internal problem. The, 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 the fever could not be cured if you threw ice on them. And I think what Christians do is we throw spiritual ice on our lack of identity by, watch this, here's, the, here's, here's where I'm going this morning, by doing what I call performance-driven identity, working harder to get affection, working harder to get affirmation, performing harder so that God can say, I am proud of you. And that is not who you are. You are not what you do. You are not your success because most of us, we value, we place our values the highest on how much we have in our bank account, how much, how, how big our ministry is, how big our church is. And if we don't watch this, here's performance identity 101 uh, from a spiritual standpoint. I used to struggle with this big time. When there was a lot of empty chairs, I used to, because I had performance driven, without me knowing it, identity instead of relationship-based identity. When there was empty chairs, you know what I would get my identity from? You're not anointed. You're not praying enough. You can never work harder. You can never pray stronger. You can never fast enough. Always empty chairs. 
Oh, something must be wrong with you. Oh, come on, I'm preaching good here. Because we don't say this, but when we're working hard and we don't see fruit, that is a, we get our identity by our lack of fruit. Come on, don't make me preach better than you're saying amen today. And performance-driven uh, Christianity will lead to a lot of things in it. And, and so at the root of all that, can I, I'm going to say something real deep. At the root of a performance-driven person is somewhere in their past, hear me this, it's a root of rejection that they're trying to close up with performance. Oh, I'm going to run around the church. I'm going to slap high five while I go around you. I'm going to say that again. You may, you may not know this, but in some way you were rejected. You may not experience divorce. You may not, but a, a pastor rejected or a leader rejected you. A friend rejected you. A boss rejected you. A teacher rejected you. And now you have that seed in your life. And now you're taking on an identity of performance and working harder to prove something to someone. And all your life, you're working so hard. And listen, when you're performance-driven with people, you'll be performance-driven with God. If you have a performance-driven mentality with people, that means you only give them accolades and tell them that they're good when they do something good. Oh, you're not, you're not hearing me. We got to be careful that we don't only tell our kids that they're doing good when they get good grades because that's a performance-driven identity. If all we do is give accolades, anytime that we give a, a kid an accolade or praises when they, they have good grades and they don't get accolades when they don't, you have just unknowingly injected a performance-driven identity into that child. In that child's mind, now all of a sudden, in order to get my dad or mom to be happy with me, I gotta work harder. I gotta work. I got. I, I've got. To, I've got to be serious and prove something. Some of you are on a journey right now to prove something to someone that died a long time ago. They died a long time ago, but your journey in life for the last twenty years, fifteen years, is trying to prove them wrong. Oh God. Oh God. I feel the Holy Ghost. You're trying to prove them wrong, and they died. Because they left a scar. Words saying, you're never going to make it. Oh, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. So all your accolades and your degrees and all that stuff. And people are like, oh, my God, throughout the years. if you, Some of you, not all of you, you look deep down inside and you don't have a relationship-based identity. You have a performance-based identity. And it goes in the opposite. When you don't do a lot, you feel like a failure. Oh, preach, Pastor George. If you're just sitting and you're just receiving that little voice, you're not doing anything. What are you doing with your life? Am I preaching to somebody here? Yeah, because in this season, you got to shut that voice off and say, I'm supposed to sit in this season. I've been too broke, too hurt, too broken. I've been getting my identity all my life by ministry, ministry, leadership, leadership, leadership. I need to receive from God. There's a deep-rooted thing. You have to realize who you are, that you are have an announcement to make. You and I are victorious all the time, not sometimes. Not even when we feel, don't feel like it. We're victorious all the time. Oh, Pastor George, you're just saying that. No, no, no. I'm actually saying this because I've researched the Bible, and I found out a couple of scriptures of who you are. And one of them says, you're not a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. 
Now, wait a minute. What are the standards to receive that title? He doesn't give you and I more skills to be more than a conqueror. It's just who we are. He doesn't say, you know what? In order for you to be more than a conqueror, you have to read five times a day, pray four times a day, lay hands on the sick, and at least one time in your life, bring healing to someone. Then you'll be more than a conqueror. He goes, when you're broke, when you're messed up, when you're cranky, when you don't want to feel like praying, when you just get born again, instantly you're not a conqueror. You are more, more than a conqueror. God doesn't have to tell you why, but I'll tell you why. He just says you are. He doesn't say, well, why? Tell me why. Now, he doesn't have to tell you why, but I'm going to tell you why. You know why you're more than a conqueror? Because the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave decided to live in you. (laughs) He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And little old you is thinking about backsliding because you can't pay your bills when the king of glory is living inside a born-again individual. You are more than a conqueror. Listen, you don't do more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. But Pastor George, I feel so dry right now. I don't feel anything. If you are born again, that's a big if. If you got saved and you repented of your sin or you renewed your relationship with God recently and you still don't feel a thing, I got news for you. God calls you more than a conqueror. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I'm going to give you a little secret. The most powerful services that I've ever had in my life when I didn't feel any anointing, any presence. And people are like, oh, my God, your message transformed my life. And then my mom I'm like, really? I'm like, that message? Okay. Because it's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by the spirit of God. <sighs> Come on. Say, I am more than a conqueror. Come on, say, this is my identity. Say, this is my identity. At the root of a performance-driven Christianity or identity is a root of rejection. Now, let me pause and think about this. I want you to think about this. Don't answer, but if you're trying to perform harder, you're trying to, to prove even to God. I used to have that system. It's a system that you have to break. I used to think in my earlier years that the more I did for God, the more prouder he is of me. So I would go to jail ministry. I would go to apartment complexes. And I did, 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 did. And I'm like, subliminally, I'm like, there's little, you know, those little, uh, little point system in the, in like, in pool or something like that, you slide it on. I kept thinking, oh, that's one more notch for me. And little did I know that I started treating people that way. Listen to me, parents. If you are not healed from a performance-driven thing to try to prove something to someone that hurt you or rejected you, you will treat God that way. You will treat relationships that way, and it will destroy relationships. Your motive will be, prove it to me. Well, I'm not happy. Prove it to me. Or, or, or you're going to be a good kid if you go to church. Some of the baddest kids are the ones who go to church. I'm preaching good this morning. Just because you go to church don't make you good. Someone's like, I know that. I know that, girl. Put that slide up. When we are performance-driven with people, we most likely will be performance-driven with God. Take a picture of that. Where we're performance-driven with people. We are more, most likely performance-driven with God. Look at me. I'm going to give you an illustration one time that, uh, that came to me yesterday while I was uh, preparing this. Are you guys getting something this morning? 
We're talking about the extension of identity that comes from the Jabez principle. Jabez had to know his identity in order to pray a prayer like that. Okay? Years ago, I went to a mission trip in Peru. How many have been to Peru? How many have been to Peru? Okay. I went to a mission trip years ago, and I was a youth pastor, and I was training people to go to um, these mission trips, right? And all of a sudden, and my own team members, my own team members, we were getting ready, and the Holy Spirit was falling in this uh, Peruvian church, and some of our team members were there, and I had a word of the Lord from one of my team members. Listen to this. And this, this one of my team members, he was pretty built. He was short and stocky and built, and he was all cut up, like, strong, right? And so I had a word of the Lord to him, and I came, and I said, I see you pumping weights. And I, and I know that sounds weird, right? What kind of a word is that? I said, I see you when you're a, a, a little bit younger. You're in the bench. I saw it clearly. You're lifting weights. And he's going, okay. And I said, I hear your voice saying, I'm going to prove to you that I'm stronger now. And he was doing it because his dad was strong, and it was very hard on him. We were calling him weak, called him a wimp. And I saw him, the reason why he's strong, his motivation was he's trying to prove his dad that he could be like his dad or stronger than his dad. When I said that, this strong man, like lightning, fell to the ground and wept. <laughs> he, he was crying uncontrollably. I had to get him up and give him a hug. God was healing him at that moment from a performance-driven reality, from words that were spoken by his father that says, you're never going to be strong enough. You're a weakling. And so his motivation was, I'm going to prove it to you. How many have been there? How many have been there? I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to the pastor. I'm going to prove it to God. Oh, they said I'll never be successful. Watch, I'm going to have three jobs now. And to the eye of people, you're like, wow, look how successful they are. But deep down inside, your whole motivation is to prove something. Watch this, to get affirmation from someone. What you're really looking for is some sort of affirmation. But the whole time, if you only knew, God is saying, I'm over here saying, I'm proud of you, boy. And you're too busy trying to prove something to someone else that told you you were never going to make it. And you've developed a performance-driven identity even in your relationship with God. I dare to say that over 60% or 70% of Christians in the body of Christ, without knowing it, you've developed a performance-based reality with God. Why? And I'm going to be careful when I say this because I feel this from the Lord. And I'm a pastor so I can say this. I have two beautiful, amazing sons who probably going to not like me when I, you know, tell them a story about them. But when you're a pastor's kid, a PK, how many, you know what PKs are, right? You have to go to church. <laughs> just, you're coming to church with me, right? And so you have, some, some people all their lives, they've, they've, they've done it. And I've always said, I want you to do it for you, not for me. Don't ride my coattails to the church. And I'm proud to say they're not perfect, but I'm proud to say both Jonathan and Jaden absolutely love the Lord. They were in the lock-in not because I told them to. I said, you're going to lock-in? They said, yeah. Actually, I said, where are you going? They said, I'm going to the lock-in. Come on. You know what that tells me? They're not doing it because their dad expects them to do it or trying to get some sort of affirmation from me. They're doing it because somewhere in their life they realize God is real and I want to do it. God is looking for a generation that goes from I have to do it to I want to do it. 
God is looking for a generation of adults that go from I can't do it to I don't want to do it. Come on, somebody. There's a difference between I can't do it because I'm going to get in trouble or my parents are pastors or leaders in the church. I can't go to the club and get wasted with you guys because if it finds out you know what's going to happen to me, well, then that's a performance-driven reality and you'll never be free. But when you go from I can't to, girl, I don't want to do that, that's going to mess up my relationship with God. Oh, man. Come on, I'm preaching good here because some of you are going... Say, I want to be free. Say, I want to serve God. Not because someone makes me. Because I want to. Oh, that was like a few of you. Come on, you need to repent. Come to the altar. We got to be careful that we only give accolations, that we don't only give accolations to people when they only do good in our lives. Change that. You may need to say, Lord, I didn't even realize until Pastor George is speaking that I've been operating this way. That's what preaching is about, to illuminate things and get you back right. Some of you don't even realize that you're operating on performance instead of relationship. And I want to give examples in Scripture in just a second. right? But I want to give you this foundation. Look at this next slide up. This is going to be really key. It's going to be a long point, but I'm going to break this point down. Okay, Knowing our biblical identity... Look at the screen. Will help us to overcome the propensity of being offended by others. And it will also help us to rightly discern what the Lord is meaning and saying in his word. Now, that's a big chunk. I'm going to break all that down. I'm going to read it again. Knowing our biblical identity, read that with me, will help us to overcome the propensity of being offended by others. It will also help us to rightly discern the Lord. What the Lord is meaning and saying in his word. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Do you know that if you know who you are, you could receive godly correction without being threatened about your personhood and your identity? You, if, if you know who you are, someone could highlight a deficiency in your life because they love you and you won't get bent out of shape and stop coming to church and, uh, and get offended and bitter. Do you know that it's impossible for people to really offend you? I'm going to go there right now. I'm going to go there. It is impossible to people offend you unless you need their pat on the back their approval to get you going unless you need their their words to give you joy unless you need their affirmation to give you confidence but how can you give me something that you never gave me how can you take away something that you never gave me the bible says i am accepted in the beloved i don't have to be accepted by you come on organ player where you at we need an organ player in here when I preach like this. Woo! PK, you need to find me one. <laughs> watch this, watch this. The P- I'm going to say this. Uh, please hear me now. I'm, there's a balance to what I'm about to say, but please, there's truth to this, okay? If you get offended easily, that means you don't know your biblical identity. If you get offended easy, I can't believe we said that. That means you're valuing their voice more than God's voice over your life. It's very simple. I've come to a point in my life, well, Pastor George, I'm like, doo-doo-doo, just keep it. You know, you know that I find the people that are the, the, my, mo- my biggest critics are people that have never done what I've done. They've never, be, they've never started a church from scratch. They've never prepared sermons every week. They never have to, and they're the biggest critic. Guess what? I don't react to that. If we react to that, then we're performance-based identity. We're trying to get our identity by, do you think that's okay? 
If I were to ask you, hey, is it okay for me to preach about sin? I hope I don't offend you. I used to be that way. Not in that term, but in quietly. I used to apologize all the time until it, this year. Not this year, uh, last year. Some of my own congregation, I think it was you, Lynette, or others. PG, you don't even know that you know this, but you apologize. Like, no, I don't. I don't even know that I was doing it because it was so embedded in me that right when I was about to give a word that I knew was a little strong, I would apologize beforehand. Little did I know, my own congregation had to say, don't apologize. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not even apologizing. Then I I saw my own sermon on YouTube, and I was like, you know, I'm sorry what I'm about to say, but. (laughs) And God had to expose the the, the, the little bit of performance driven, we all slip into that. We perform harder to think we could get God's affirmation better. And when we don't do anything, we're lazy. That's a lie of the enemy. Now, there are some times now, the balance is if you do that for all your life, probably there is a laziness problem. God doesn't want you to sit down all your life. Come on, say amen. It's impossible for someone to offend you if you truly walk out your identity. It's impossible. Because what they say won't sting. Because you're like, I don't get my identity from you. Yeah, it may hurt a little bit, but there's a difference between hurt and then getting your identity from that. Come on, say amen. So having a performance-driven mentality not only will lead to offense, zoom in on me, it will lead to burnout. It is exhausting keeping up the pace of perfection. Y'all ain't, y'all ain't, ain't talking back to me a lot today, so, so I'm going to talk to myself. You know, A performance-driven identity will lead to a lifestyle of trying to be perfect, a perfectionist. And you can't keep up the pace of perfection without burning out. Some of you, you're perfectionists, and, you're, and you've been burned out because you're, God doesn't call us to be perfectionists. He calls us to walk things out. Listen, get rid of that perfection and start coming back to relationship. Yes, strive to be excellent, but don't strive to be perfect because we're all going to fail. We're all going to fail. Don't fail on purpose, but we're all going to fail. They say that Michael Jordan missed more clutch shots, last-minute shots, than he did uh, of making them. Yet, he is considered one of the greatest of all time. He got cut from his high school basketball team. Listen, if you base your identity on what happened to you, you will always shortcut the victory that's on the other side of it. Come on. We need to be healed from this and not watch this. Someone who knows their identity and it's not performance-based won't be defensive all the time. Defense and offense are like brothers. I've never seen someone who is offended that is not defensive. Always defensive. Well, that's not me. No, that's you. Well, a a correction comes. Well, it's not that. Or you're always correcting me. Listen, listen, I'm going to expose this lovingly. Stop getting mad when people that you respect bring correction to you because that means they're not trying to find something just to find something. They're trying to highlight something because there's an issue and he loves you or she loves you enough to tell you. But if you're always getting defensive, you have a problem with identity. It's, it's true. 
If you get defensive, you have a problem with identity, all right? That's not on the slide, but that's a good point, all right? In addition, some people, when they have a performance-driven identity, they misinterpret the word because they have a paradigm of life, so they read everything in the word from that paradigm. Watch this. I had a conversation one time with a person, and they said, they, said, uh, they had a performance-driven identity, and I knew it. They didn't know it, but I knew it. I, and, he, and he's like, um, years ago, he's like, well, you know, God is just so hard. It's the relationship, serving God is so hard. I go, okay, tell me what's so hard about it, you know? Let's just, let's just talk. <laughs> like, what's so hard about it? Well, he's just so hard to approach, you know, like, and he gave Isaiah 55. You know, like, Isaiah 55 even proves that, you know, it's like, uh, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now, now when, when he said that, I'm like, to a person that doesn't see it that way, I actually see that scripture the opposite. I'm like, what a relief. What a relief his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Glory to God, because sometimes my thoughts are so bad. Thank God. Instead of my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways. To a person that has that paradigm, this is how they interpret it. My ways are higher. I am impossible to approach. And you can't get near me. Your sin is so, I am so much higher. And we're thinking, God is out to get me. And God is like, my mercy is out to get you. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we're thinking like, he's about to judge me. And God's like, I'm about to send grace to you. God doesn't like me. And God says, I delight in you. You read a scripture, I delight in you. He delivers me because he delights in me. <laughs> That's a scripture. He delivers me. Why? Um, I, just, I just like him. I'm going to set him free. Why? Why, Lord? I'm just head over heels over that person because I love them. That is your identity. Now, I want to expose two types of identities with scripture. Are you getting something this morning? We're going to break off that performance driven. Come on, man. We got to break that off of us. Man, we got to break that off of us. Man, we got to break that. Off. I'm a man, so I can say, man, we got to break off that performance driven. How we, perf- how we get our identity by performing real good and five times a day, and, and, and we're subliminally getting our identity by that, and then we're treating everybody in our family like that. Got quiet up in this Baptist church. Women, you're not excluded. The men are like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Pastors, it's talking about the women. Women, you are not excluded. You could view someone that has a pure heart and you could view them totally wrong because you have a paradigm of identity crisis in you. You could view someone that's actually trying to say something nice and you could mess, think that they're saying something wrong. It's true. I'm like, what do I do now? What do I do now? That's what men do all the time. What do I do now, babe? You didn't pick that up. I'm sorry. You always do that. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Let me continue because I'm going to lose half of the church here. They're like, let's go now. <laughs> so watch this. <laughs> the, the Lord doesn't want performance at the expense of your relationship with him. Woo! He wants you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but not at the expense of your relationship with him. Boy, this is good preaching. This is going to set you free. Well, I'm, listen, you know what I love about preaching the Bible is that I get set free too. While I'm studying, I'm like, ooh, let me not slip into that. I, don't, I, I got free from that. I don't want to slip back into that. 
God does not want performance at the expense of your personal relationship. God is in heaven shouting, I want a relationship, not performance. I want you, not what you could do for me. Come on, I want you, I want you, not your church attendance. We get so busy doing the work of the Lord that we forget the Lord of the work. He's there saying, hey, 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 how about me? Don't get your joy by clocking in. I clocked in. Pastor better be happy with me. He saw that I was here on Tuesday. He saw that I was here on Sunday. That's performance driven. Instead of, you know what? I'm here because I'm, I'm so honored to serve the house. Instead of, hey, I clocked in. Listen, I said this before, but I said it again because I feel it in my heart. You can do a righteous deed and do it with a bad heart, and that is not righteous in God's eyes. You, you could be in one of, in one of my, 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 let's say, our leaders, our leaders meeting and actually be there and not want to be there. You could be in church and it's your turn to serve and you're like, they better see how good I serve here today. I've been faithful. Uh-oh. Instead of, God, I'm one of the few that said yes to serve. What a delight it is to serve the house of the Lord. Glory to God. I'm getting happy all by myself. So here's a biblical example of what I call a performance-driven relationship. And I'm going to actually give you two stories, right? Then we're going to close, okay? Now, everybody knows about the prodigal son. Everybody preached about it, right? But I'm going to give it to you in a different angle. I want to read it together, okay? And I'm going to expose some hidden truths about the older son that I feel by his words, was performance-driven with his father and did not understand the true love of his father because his paradigm and his identity was, if I just do good, I'm going to get all this. Ooh, this could preach like a, million, like a million ways. So sometimes you give and you don't get right away. Does that, mean, does that mean giving is bad? Because God is not a slot machine. Sometimes you give... And you wait, and you give, and you wait, and you serve, and you wait, and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, two, three years later, pop, whoop, there it is. There, you got it. And all of a sudden, fruit starts coming from three years ago. Fruit starts coming financially from two years ago. Why? Because you've been consistent, not treating God as a slot machine. You did it because you were cheerful in doing it. And God says, I see their heart. You know how I know this? Because in the book of Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was not performance driven. He didn't say, hey, listen, I won't give. God, you know I'm giving right now. Hey, hey, hey. I'm giving to the poor. I'm giving alms. You know, one day I know an angel's going to come around here anytime soon. No, he's like, where's a poor person? Here, 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 give. He did it out of relationship, not out of performance. And, and, and he was, listen, the Bible says that he was from the Italian regiment. He wasn't even part of the, the whole clique of the Jewish people. But he gave and feared God. You know what the angel said? Angel peer. Cornelius. Ah! Don't think like, you read the story and you think Cornelius is like, yes. He freaked out. I mean, an angel's like, Cornelius. He's like, whoa. Watch this. Your, your giving and your alms have been recorded as a memorial in heaven. 
He didn't be like, see, I knew it. I knew it the more I give. No. He was like, okay, Lord. He goes, I'm going to make sure I talk to Peter, who doesn't know that he's going to go to your house. But he's going to go to your house, and the words that Peter says are going to save everyone in your house. Now watch this. He was not performance-driven. He did it because he loved God, and God rewarded him. But it wasn't in the time that he gave. He must have gave to the poor a lot. Never expected anything. But if you are a performance-driven person, you get mad at God. When you do something, you expect God to do something back for you. That's why I got mad with God. Because I realized God was exposing performance-driven relationship. God don't owe me a thing. I said, God, you don't owe me a thing. But in my mind, I'm like, please heal me. Please heal me. I said, all you did for me, die on the cross. You don't owe me anything. But I do believe that you could heal me. And I got mad because I expected God to be like a slot machine. I gave this, you give me that. Come on, I'm preaching good. I'm preaching good. I serve here for these many years, you give me my healing when I want. I serve the church all these years, you better give me financially when I'm in trouble. What of their silence? God is exposing performance driven because he wants to get us back to relationship identity. Lift your hands and say amen. Come on, lift your hands and say amen. Let's look at Luke chapter 15. Are you getting something? 15 chapter 25 through 20, 32. Let's look it up in the screen. This is what I call the example of a performance-driven identity. Now let this speak to you. If you're resisting, maybe that means it's for you. It's a little sign. If you're like, oh, come on, change the subject. It's probably for you. I'm serious. Now, his older son, now you actually know the story. How many know the story of the prodigal son? I think many people know. Just a real backstory: the 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 um, the prodigal son, the, the 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 rebel, the black sheep of the family. He told his father, "Give me my inheritance so I could do what I want." Now, people don't know Jewish culture. You know what that means? It means the thing that you were supposed to give to me when you die, I want it now. In other words, he said to his father, I don't care about you. I wish you were dead. You're dead in my life. Give me my money. That's what basically he is. Could you imagine the sore parents, fathers, if your son did that? Give me my money now that's supposed to be when you die because you're dead to me. So the father gave him the inheritance. And the Bible says that 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 man did everything he wanted. Watch this, young people. Watch this. He did everything he wanted. Finally. And he ended up realizing that after he did the partying and he did the drinking and he did the sex and he did the, the, the eating and he did all that stuff that he was not satisfied. And he got so low that he was eating with the pigs and the Bible says he actually liked it. How low do you have to be to say, man, this actually tastes pretty good. And then all of a sudden he goes, what's wrong with me? So he comes back, right? Now, remember this, the whole time, everybody say the whole time. The older son was the performer. He obeyed. He didn't do anything. He probably secretly inside wanted to do what his brother did, but he stayed. He performed. Watch this. He didn't do anything right. Now, now you would think that he would be happy. How many of you have a brother or sister? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. How many of you, if your brother or sister went backslid to the world, backslid, went on drugs, used to go to church, and they're destroying their life, had a marriage, divorce, and they're just, their life is just ruined. How many would be happy if they get encountered by God and start repenting and slowly make their way back to church? 
Oh, but not this son. This son, when the, when the prodigal son came back, now watch this now. I'm going to expose performance here so you understand. Because this is good preaching whether you like it or not. The son, the rebel, the one who messed up, who's eating with the pigs, the lowest of his life, he went low. I'm sure that other people were praying for him. There were answers to prayer now. He's coming back. You would think the older, the older son would be like, Dad, look. Dad, look. My brother, your son is coming. They threw a party for the backslidden son that came back. And the father gave him everything, gave him material things. Listen to me. And the older son said, what? Instead of, look. <laughs> no, look, look what it says. Now his older son was in the field. Older son, as he came and drew, listen to me. This is going to be powerful. Near to the house, he heard music and dancing. The older son was like, what's, what's all this dancing about? What's all this music about? Because they were celebrating the backslidden son that came, his brother. So he called one of the servants and asked, what does this mean? And he said, your brother who has come, he was come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Watch this. Fatted calf for him. But the older son was very angry and would not go in. Why? Let's read further. Therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said, this is the key. This is the key. The older son said to the father, lo, I've been with you these many years serving you. Look at what I've done for you. All these times I've been faithful to you. I've been performing so that I could get one day an affirmation from you. All these years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. Watch this. And yet you never gave me a young goat and I, that I may make, watch this, marry with my friends. Notice it's my friends. Not I don't care about being with you. I just want to, I want to care about being with my friends. Right? But as soon as this son of yours, didn't even call him his brother, <laughs> came, who has devoured your livelihood and your hardest, you killed the fatted calf. See, this is the heart of the father to a performance-driven person. Okay? This is it. And he said to him, son. Watch this. Imagine the father saying this right now in heaven. Son, you're always with me. Daughter, you're always with me. I'm going to paraphrase it. I didn't love you because of what you did for me. Watch this. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and now is alive again. The older son didn't want his father's affirmation at that time. He wanted his father's things. He didn't want to make merry with his father. He wanted to make merry with his friends. My point is, this whole story exposes a performance-driven identity that says, I should have got this because I served you. Let me say this right now. If you don't hear anything else, pop the bubble of expectation, of unspoken expectation, because you're serving, because you're doing the right thing, because you're going to church. If you're doing it to get someone else's approval, you're going to get burned out, and you're going to actually dislike what you want to do. You're actually going to dislike what you originally said God used me for. If I'm just using Joanne as an example. She's not. But if Joanne would go up here and do music just so that she could say, God, look, I'm being faithful to you. When is it my turn? 
If she's doing it for that, or she's doing it just so that I could be pleased to have a worship leader, she's going to get burned out. And you know what's going to happen? She's eventually not going to like what she does. Watch this, Colossians, but do everything unto the Lord because your reward comes from him. Here's the recipe not to get into, into, into performance driven. If you do everything knowing that God is watching and God is affirming, then everything you do will be out of a relationship instead of out of duty. Look at this. And this is why people backslide. I've seen a lot of backsliders. A lot of backsliders, do you know what they tell me? And I'm, if you're here, I'm not, uh, I'm not um, targeting you. I just feel this from the Lord. Many backsliders have said, I said, hey, where are you at? I haven't seen you at church. I've tried. I've tried. I've prayed. God is not coming through for me. They don't do it based on relationship. They do it based on God didn't come through, which meant the whole time you're serving God based on a slot machine mentality of God is going to have to do something for me. He already did something for you. If you never feel the presence of God again, my friends, which it will be impossible, if you never feel the presence of God again, that bloodied picture of the cross, of him with the crown of thorns and, and, and scars all over him and blood and bones coming out saying, I'm taking the sins of the world right now. So they won't be apart from me for all eternity. If that's the only thing he does for us, it's worth praising God for the rest of our life. Now, lastly, lastly, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna end. Here is an example, one of my favorite examples of a relationship-based um, identity. We expose the performance-based identity on the prodigal son. Maybe some of you are here. I know some of you are here because we all struggle with this. But some of you, I'm going to talk to you now, I'm closing, on how to build a relationship base. And I'm going to share a story with my favorite disciples is John. I'm going to tell you by, the, by looking at John, how John was, was, a, was a person that the Bible says that historians say he was about 90 years old when he wrote the book of John. Watch this. And not one time did he call himself by his name, John. He called himself by the identity that he felt so much so from God. He felt the love of Jesus so strong that he actually identified himself as the one who Jesus loves. <laughs> he identified himself while he's writing. He's talking about himself and he calls himself the one who Jesus loves. Come on, somebody. you got to have a revelation of identity and revelation when you're writing about yourself and you don't even call yourself your name. You say, I'm the one who Jesus loves. That's the one who was on his chest. Look at this, look at this. John 13, 21, then we're going to close. Listen, when Jesus had said these things, watch this, he, he was troubled and testified and said, Moses, surely I say to you, one of you will betray me. This is in the Last Supper. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about what he spoke. Now there was one. Now, what, what, what is this book? What book are we reading? All right, so, he's, so the Bible says the gospel according to? So who's writing the book of John? Now there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about himself. Watch this. There was one that Jesus loved leaning on his chest. And then watch this. This is a revelation itself. Simon Peter, who was close to Jesus, but it wasn't that as close as John. 
he motioned to, 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 to John saying, you tell him, you tell him who it is. Ask him who it is. I got a revelation last night. John, the beloved, was so secure in how God viewed him and how God loved him that he knew it wasn't him. Everybody else was like, was it me? Even Peter was like, you tell him, you tell, who's going to betray him? Not one, everyone was doubting except John. That's my opinion. John absolutely knew it wasn't him because if he thought it was him, he wouldn't ask him. He goes, sit right there. <laughs> All the disciples are freaking out. And everyone, and even Peter, who was with him in the Mount of Transfiguration, and all of a sudden, Peter, no one's saying, he's like, one of you are going to betray me. Get back. <laughs> he just, he just, he just so in love with Jesus. Everyone's like, and then he motions to Peter, and Peter goes, you tell him, because you're, so, watch this, you're in a position of closeness with him. You tell him, watch this, who, who is it? <laughs> who is it, right? And then Jesus said, it's the one who dips this bread into the... Jesus, do you know your word? (laughs) The one who dips his bread, right? Okay, give it up for PK. (laughs) Watch, I'm closing. He leaned back and said, who is it? And, And watch this. Jesus said, it's the one who dips bread with me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Even Peter says, why don't you ask him? Are you ready for this? This is going to blow you away. Put this next slide up. When you have a relationship based, I want the worship team to come up here, please. Worship team, come up. When you have a relationship based um, reality, identity, John the Apostle wanted to be known by how he related to Jesus. Watch this, not by what he accomplished in ministry. Listen to this, listen to this. John's identity was based on his relationship with Jesus, not his ministry for Jesus. Look at, put that next point up there, just back to back, that next point up. Watch this. I want everyone to read this and take a picture of this. Because John understood his rightful position with God by knowing his identity, watch this, he was in a position to receive the secrets of God. Do you know what happens when you jump out of performance identity and into relationship identity? You have the access to say, Tell me some of your secrets. The only secret that was given that day was to John. Oh, my God. That's deep. The only secret from God that was given to any of the disciples. Do you know that that, that Jesus didn't have to answer John? But because of their relationship, he answered John. He said, one of you are going to betray me. And all the disciples were like, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Don't no one, no one look. Don't look at him. Don't look at him. Don't look at him. Because he could be me. He may be looking at me right now. Look. John was so confident. Who is it? I know it's not me. Who is it? Jesus goes, he didn't have to answer. He goes, it's the one that dips bread with me. I'm sharing secrets with you because you're closest to me. You want to be in position of receiving secrets from God? Be close and have a relationship identity, not a performance identity. Give the Lord a hand clap for that. Come on, amen. I'm going to close with this movie clip, and then we're going to pray. How many is God speaking to you today? 
come on, you work hard, or maybe you, you've been fueled by working by, with someone that, that you're trying to prove. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's an old pastor. Maybe it's somebody that says you never do it, and you've made it a mission in your life to be the best preacher, the best worker, but you're burning yourself out because at the core of that, you may not be doing it out of relationship. How many have seen the movie Captain Marvel? Captain Marvel, right? Oh, come on. What's, you guys need to, need to come up in the name of Jesus, right? Well, this is this movie, my wife, because I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I wanted to land at home, so I preach sometimes to my wife, right? So I was like, babe, is there, is there a clip that once people know their identity, they actually gain power? Do you know that when you know your identity, it's not just the lights go on. You actually receive strength, encouragement, boldness, and power when you know who God says you are. I'm not, you know why I could preach here confidently? Because I, I know that God doesn't view me by my mistakes, no one could be able to preach behind this pulpit if, if you had a bad week and all of a sudden the, the enemy is saying, how can you preach? You're a hypocrite. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm just human. Get behind me, Satan. I'm just human. Get behind me. I, I must have slipped up, but you know what? It's under the blood. He doesn't remember anymore. That's who I am. That's how you are. And in this movie, we're going to show it. This is so powerful. So Captain Marvel, you know, she's one of the, you know, Avengers, and she's tied up in a chair because the enemy had captured her because she was trying to be independent, and the enemy was trying to label her. Some of you, you've been labeled by your past, and the enemy's tied you up. And there's a scene that she just starts breaking free, and you'll see. And, the, and the, they say, your name is Veers. The enemy says, no, we created you. We made you. The enemy saying that to some of you. I made you. I did this. I'm the one who gave you this opportunity. And then she says, no, my name is Caroline. I think it's Carol or something. Right? And then the power of God comes on her. How many want the power of God in confidence and boldness to come back to you? I want you to watch this clip, and then we're going to pray. Go ahead. You're right. I'm only human. My name is Carol.
I've been fighting with one arm tied behind my back. But what happens when I'm finally set free? Come on, church. Come on. The principle of that story is she broke out of the name Veers that the enemy gave her. And she says, I'm not Veers. I'm Carol. And the power came on her when she came into her identity. I want everyone to stand up right now, please, as we get ready to pray. Because I feel the whole, how many feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? How many feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you? I exposed something by faith and in love that many of you didn't have the language to articulate. You may have been doing it on your life without ever even realizing that a big part of your drive may be, not to all of you, may be because you're secretly trying to heal from a root of rejection. You're trying to seek someone's affirmation or secretly you're trying to say to that third grade teacher, I'm going to show her, look at me now. And although you may be successful and I celebrate that, what's the reason or the motive of you being successful? Remember this church and then we're going to worship. If you're performance driven with people, you'll be performance-driven with God. And the day that, some, that God blesses someone else other than you, and you've been working hard, you may have a tendency to be offended. But today I'm only saying that so that we could break out of performance. Come on. We could break out of performance-driven Christianity and imagine being in a party. And, at, and you're in a birthday party. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost here. And you're in a, in, a, in a graduation, and someone says, what's your name? And you say, I'm the one who Jesus loves. That almost sounds prideful, but, but John was so confident in his relationship with Jesus that he identified himself as, I'm the one who Jesus loves. I know Jesus loves everyone, but he loves me a lot. Who are you? I'm the one who Jesus loves. God is saying to you today, when you ask, who am I? You should respond, I'm the one who Jesus loves. That means I don't got to do a thing to earn his affirmation. Jesus didn't do one miracle, didn't raise one person from the dead when he was 30 years old and he was baptized. He didn't do one good deed that we know of that's scriptural as far as the power of the Spirit. And yet he got baptized and he heard the voice of the Father affirming him. This is my son who I am well pleased. What did he do, Father? Nothing. But then why are you well pleased? 
because he's my son. But did he, did he raise people from the dead yet at that time? No. Did he heal any sick people? No. Did he rebuke cancer and leukemia out of people? No. Did he walk on water? No. Then why, Father, did you give such a big, huge accolade to Jesus? Why are you well pleased? Because he didn't have him well pleased based on what Jesus did for the Father. He was well pleased because that is who he is. Some of you are going are to be set free by the power of the Holy Ghost right now in your mind. Set free from years of condemnation to try to prove to God that you're worthy of something. Try to prove to God. Try to prove to your parents. Try to prove to your pastor. And you have this performance-driven mentality, but you're really trying to search to be healed from rejection. And the Lord wants to address the root of rejection from your past today. I feel the Spirit of God. All is for your glory. All is for your name. Come on, lift up your hands right now before the Lord. Come on, accept his responsibility. Accept his identity. Come on, I feel the spirit of God. Oh, we love you, Lord. I'm the one who Jesus loves. That's who I am. I'm a lover of God, and God loves me. This is my identity. Come on, lift your hands all over this place. Come on, let the Holy Spirit touch you. Come on, think about it, think about it. He wants to heal, he wants to heal. The roots of rejection that made you perform. Today you're getting set free. Come on, come on. You're getting set free right now. All is for your glory. Come on, make this your prayer today before we leave. All is Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.